You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Elizabeth Lowell, whose exciting novels of romantic suspense include the New York Times bestsellers Dangerous Refuge, Beautiful Sacrifice, Death Echo, The Wrong Hostage, Amber Beach, and Jade Island, to name just a few. She's also written New York Times bestselling historical series set in the American West and medieval Britain. In fact, she has more than 80 titles published to date, with over 24 million copies of her books in print. She lives in the Sierra Nevada mountains with her husband, with whom she writes more novels under a pseudonym. And Elizabeth joins us today by phone, and as I understand, in the midst of a brush fire, to talk to us about writing her new novel, Perfect Touch, which publishes July 28th by William Morrow. Welcome, Elizabeth, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Just to, to clarify, you are you're inhaling smoke right now because you're in the middle of nowhere and there's a fire nearby. Yes, I. Uh, they're they're trying to burn down the Sierra Nevada, and we get uh, an immense amount of smoke when we get wildfires like that until the wind shifts or the fire goes out. So if I cough, forgive me. It's not great air here right now. Yes, well, I'm sorry to hear that, and thank you again for for sitting down with us. Tell us a little bit about Perfect Touch and Sarah and Jay, please. With Sarah and Jay in Perfect Touch, I wanted to explore the idea that, number one, you're never through learning in life. And number two, some things you have learned as a child, uh, you have to unlearn in order to be able to be fully adult and to enjoy the full range of adult possibilities. Unfortunately for them, they had to learn all this while they're chasing a murderer and the murderer is trying to kill them. So it, it makes it kind of kind of hectic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Sarah comes from, from a very humble background, but now she's in this very rarefied world of, of art collectors and, and she changes she changes quite a bit. Um and, and how does sort of knowing Jay changer? How is it that it's a combination of the two of them coming together? Well, in Jay, she sees something she doesn't, she hadn't thought was possible. She sees a, a man who is secure in himself and thus is capable of trust and love. And she also sees that in order for her to accept that fully, she will have to outgrow her childhood notion that came from watching her mother uh, have child after child in poverty, and Sarah was doing a lot of the child raising, as often happens with the oldest girl. And she has to think and rethink her childhood because she believed that marriage was a prison. Yeah. And that... It was um, that the woman got nothing out of it, but children her husband couldn't afford. Now, she that's that's been her driving force in life and why she is a single woman and why she is a career woman. Mm -hmm. And when she meets Jay, she can either ignore the possibilities that he represents 
or she can reach back on herself and realize that the choices her mother made don't have to be her own choices. Right. That she, that she is an adult capable of looking at a situation and evaluating it for herself rather than always in the shadow of her mother's major decision to marry and have children. Yeah, it's it's so good. And then the mystery and the murder, that's all layered in. It's, it's such a good read. It was really enjoyable. Oh, thank you very much. It was fun to have something that is internal, like changing, changing the yeah. of life, driven by external events that are quite unusual, quite desperate, where you have to make choices in an instant yeah. that are, are life and death choices. And she is a survivor. She has proven that. Now, where do you find inspiration for your female characters? Oh, gosh, that's hard to say. Um, I, I guess I write about the things that I admire in women. I admire strong women, women who are able to overcome the obstacles of their childhood, if necessary, you know. Not all childers are filled with that kind of obstacle. And women who have enough self-assurance in the end that they can trust a man and with trust comes love. And they tend to choose also strong men who don't need to overpower a woman or control a woman in order to feel manly. They have their own self-confidence. So you have a matching of strengths instead of a marriage of weaknesses. Right. It's 100%, 100%. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. What what motivates you to continue year to year to work, to publish, you know, 400-page novels? It just seems remarkable how your body of work and that your pace doesn't seem to have declined at all over, over the years. <laughs> I often wonder about that myself. <laughs> so what is your secret? <laughs> and can I have some? Can you sell it to me? <laughs> so if I could bottle it and sell it, I wouldn't write. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a desire to, to tell a story I believe in very much, a story that, that in many ways I myself have lived. I've been blessed with a wonderful marriage and a long term, long-standing marriage to a man who enriches my possibilities rather than limits them. Yeah. And yeah. I I just feel it's important to share the reality that this can happen because we see so much negative in the news and, you know, and negative things happen. I, I'm hardly a Pollyanna. But I just want people to know that it's possible for this to happen. I think that's an important thing to offer hope in a world that often seems to value despair more than hope. Right, and that is a common that's a common thread in your work. I'm I'm realizing as you're saying it and and that really is such a such a great such a great message. I was one of my other questions was, you know, how do you keep your plots and your characters fresh? But you you sort of answered that as well. So, you know, <laughs> when it comes from the heart that way and and, it, and it's this desire to present this this opportunity, it, it, it's very clear and it's it's very real. So that's probably what people react to, right? Yeah, I think it is, and I'm I'm very pleased by that. And I've had people write me and 
many times and say thank you for getting me through an extremely rough patch in life, you know, just by offering them a place to go and and be renewed rather than yeah. a place to go and be chewed. Right, right. Now tell us what um, what part travel plays in your research for each book. Uh, quite a bit, if at all possible. I will travel to the place that I'm writing about. Now, when it came to Night Diver, I was unable to travel because at the time I would have been traveling. I was making my travel plans and getting ready to go. A uh, hurricane went through the area, not that exact area, but the area that I would have to fly to Florida Mm -hmm. and then in order to switch planes. So I couldn't research that on the ground. Fortunately, my daughter had already been there. She's a world traveler. And she helped me quite a bit with the feel of a tropical place like that. Uh, And now tell the truth and shame the devil. Have you ever traveled somewhere first and then sort of backed into a a story around that location? Um, I was going to do that with Hawaii. And there, once again, (laughs) something interfered. Uh, There was a, a, a... I was going to travel there for a wedding. The wedding was called off. But I'd already committed to the book. (laughs) Well, that could have been the book there, too, right? So she calls off the one wedding, and then something else happens. (laughs) A year later, she goes back to Hawaii. (laughs) We just, you know, at that point, you wing it the best you can. I had never been to Hawaii, but I'd been to, you know, tropical places, beaches, blah, blah, blah. And I, I researched it as best I could at the time. Oh, and when funny. I went there later, I found out, hey, it's pretty much like that. Good, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> now, let me ask you another question. Why do authors, and you in particular, of course, why do you choose to write under a different name? What is it that motivates you to do that initially? And, and in your case, you've done it more than once, correct? So tell us about that. Yeah. It's, it, those were business decisions. I was okay. under under contract as Ann Maxwell writing science fiction when I, actually my husband discovered for me romance, which I had never read. I mean, I, you know, I led a deprived childhood. I was raised on the classics, and I didn't even know romance existed in books. And your husband said, oh, look, this is a form of literature that that might be of interest to you that you might be good at. Yes. Well, what did he say? He, he he. We were at um, the ADA, and Philip was just launching the Desire Line, and he collected four books and brought them to me because I was looking for more things to write. Science fiction was fun, but it wasn't paying a whole lot. So I, uh, he brought them to me, or he tried to bring them to me, and. Someone had taken them where he had left them five minutes before, and he had to go back and get more, and he was getting the last of the books, and he thought, huh, there's something here. So he brought them to me, (laughs) and I I read them, and one of the the four was uh, Jane Ann Krentz's Corporate Affair. And all of the books, you know, were well-written. That wasn't an issue, but hers just really leaped off the page, and I said, wow, I could really enjoy doing this. And so I started to write romance uh, after reading about 400 books in the genre because it's very important to know what the readers expect when they pick up yes. the genre book. And uh, that I had to choose. I chose name, my middle name, his middle name, 
that's Elizabeth Lowell, uh, and went and sold a book, and I've been enjoying it ever since. Oh, my goodness. I love hearing the, the etymology of the name. And how long ago was that? Oh, gosh, that was in the 80s. Oh, so marvelous. Quite so a while us, back. Tell us about working with him together, because you, you all collaborate. So tell us about that work. Well, it's, it's sort of the way porcupines make love, you know, very, <laughs> very carefully. <laughs> In order to collaborate with anyone, you need a great deal of mutual respect. Otherwise, if something goes wrong, then you start blaming each other. It's rather like a marriage in that. You must have mutual respect. So he would uh, he'd write a first draft, doing whatever he wanted, and he'd give it to me, and I would write a second draft, and the first time we did it, he put the pages side by side and was, why did you do this, why did you do that, why did you do that? And I said, hmm, no, this won't work. And he looked at me, and I said, I'm not, you, you know, it's, it's either we're collaborating and creating something together, or I'm your editor, and I'm not your editor. Yeah. So he... He learned to just take the, the pages that I gave him and see if the pages themselves worked. And if he had questions about the pages that, that weren't, why did you do this, but, you know, can we do fix this or do that, then I would, you know, we'd work together at that point. But once again, you have to really respect the other person's abilities and judgment to have a real collaboration. And have you ever started something that you just, realized you were just going to continually butt heads and, and, and you all, you abandoned it? Or did you finish everything that you started? We finished everything that we started. Oh. Oh. <laughs> like you do have a good marriage. Damn, I can't keep yeah. you up at all. <laughs> now, um, including, you know, including the marriage, you know, going on, gosh, I guess it'll be 49 years. So, Oh, oh that is a, so inspiring. I'm so happy to hear that. Now tell me who are you? Other, I'm going to guess that your your husband is one of your first readers. But is there anybody else that you you trust to to be your first reader as you as uh, you're working? Yeah. Well, as I'm working, nobody's a first reader because I don't. I, right. Nobody reads the book until it's finished. Okay. And then uh, I trust my daughter to mm-hmm. be a first reader. She's usually stealing the pages to read them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I was going to say that. You know, you, you want to wait till the book is finished. But there's got to be people that are saying, oh, may I, may I see, may I see? <laughs> yeah. Daughter. Well, she, yeah, she'll, she will sneak in and steal pages. She's been doing that since she was 13. Uh, but uh, Jane Ann Krentz is my primary first reader. You know, we, we yeah. swap manuscripts. She finishes one and sends it to me and... And we just, uh, not only are we good friends, but we truly enjoy each other's writing. And that's a difficult thing to find because there are many people out there whom I enjoy as people. I don't enjoy their books quite as much. Or I really enjoy their books and then I wish I'd never met them. You know, it's it's rare to find. Yeah, that's a delicate combination, isn't it? Yes, it's rare to find the two in one. But we've become great friends since... uh, I first started writing romance. That's good. It's good to have a, a, an ally like that. What part of writing do you, do you really dislike and you find yourself sort of avoiding more than, than others? The middle of the book. 
Yeah. We refer to it as the great sagging middle. Jane and I will call each other and commiserate because somehow, no matter how many times you've done it, you get to the middle of the book and you think, why am I writing this? Who's going to want to read it? This is terrible. And then you, you know, go to your friends and your spouse and everybody else and and they say, oh, you're in the middle of the book. Right. (laughs) You know, and then they'll... You know, either pat us on the back or uh, give us encouragement. And it happens every time. Every time. Every wow. single time. <laughs> and you for, and then yet you forget. It's like childbirth. You forget it. And then you start the next one. I'll, I'll fall yeah. off into something, right? <laughs> yeah, you start the next one, and this is going to be great. And then you hit the great sagging middle. Uh, it's, it's just always there. I haven't talked to any writer who doesn't hate the middle. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good to know. And and I'm also interested in your perspective on publishing. So, so we've talked a lot about your writing, but you, you've been publishing with um, major publishers for a long time. What do you think is the biggest difference between, let's say, your first or your second book or your first or your second romance book and, and, and this one? I mean, it, so much has got to have changed. I, I think mostly what has changed in romance and also the better as far as I'm concerned, because I didn't want to write books with weak women, uh, is that you are allowed to have more complex strengths in your male and your female. You're allowed a male, some male point of view, you know. My books are pretty even. You spend time in the man's head and the woman's head. and that wasn't possible when I was first writing. You just never had a male point of view. There were these elusive, mysterious creatures and in the bad books who suddenly said, I love you on the last page. I see, yeah. <laughs> and you had no idea how they came to that. Yeah. Yeah. Now you see, uh, now they're allowed to be people. Yeah. And have have more facets. Well, that's a that's a really good change. And what do you what do you find most challenging about the actual publishing process? I and mean, some people complain that it's too slow or the, the cover process. What for you aggravates you? Well, the the most difficult thing is that publishing, in order to survive, has had to aggregate and become yeah. much larger. And that means that every part of your book's production is in a different silo, to use business terms. And you go to silo A and you get uh, blurbs written. You go to silo B and you get um, mistakes corrected or C, D, E, and F. It's very, very hard for me to get the silos to communicate in a manner that is useful to me. When I I see mistakes and I want changes pushed out to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or something like that, it has to go not to my. It goes through my editor, but she's not the one who does it. Other people do it, and I have no control over any of their schedules, no leverage, no nada, and that can be very frustrating. Yeah, that's interesting. Now I want to ask you just a couple questions in your life as a reader, um, because I know all writers read constantly. So what? Was, oh yes. What was the last? conversation you had about a book and what did you say? I think I'm trying to remember I mean in my household there are three authors 
and you know we all talk about books all the time, so it'd be hard to pin down a specific discussion. Um, actually, we're usually talking about the book I'm writing yeah. and whether you know how it's going or whether you know do I need more research on this point or on that point. As far as talking about the books other people write, it's uh, it's hard because our reading choices are so diverse. I mean, Evan will come and tell me about this great thriller he's read, and I'll nod my head. But I know it's not it's not a book that I'm going to want to go out and read. Right. And do you not read while you are writing? I don't read romantic suspense while I'm writing it. No. Yes, at all. But you write. You might read something completely different. Uh, usually it's paranormal romance. Okay. <laughs> well, to think how far away that is from what I'm writing, and that's, yeah. that's why I read it. Yeah, yeah. All right, now I have a final question. It's kind of corny, but I ask it anyway. And that is, if you were to be banished to a desert island and you were allowed to take three books, what would they be? Mm. Gosh. One of them would be John McPhee's Geological History of the West. I know this sounds strange. Uh, The one that he got the Pulitzer for uh, in suspect terrain and basin and range. I I find his writing extraordinary. I'm fascinated by the subject. I studied geology in college, and I still am fascinated. So I would have that one because it's a big, fat read, and I can pick at it. And let's see, what else would I have? I'm trying to figure out which one of Jane's I would take. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely are. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's hard to have favorites when you have a body of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what other book would I take? I'm looking around my office, and all I'm seeing are research books. And it's funny, I'll bet the books that surround you in your office sort of rotate, right, depending on what, yeah, depending on what you're on, working on? Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so right uh, now I'm, I'm deep into um, Persian carpets for my next book that I'm working on. And if it had been uh, when I was working on Perfect Touch, it would have been history of the Grand Tetons and place names of the Tetons and families yeah. of the Tetons. And So, yeah, I... I think I would probably, if, if I had to go away to that desert island, just give me a pencil and paper and I'd start writing. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I, I bet you would, <laughs> given, given your past history. <laughs> your, you know. yeah. Oh, my goodness, and thank goodness you do work that hard and give us so much great stuff to read. I'm so happy to have spoken with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you for asking me and calling me. It was fun. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.